The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Ephesians chapter 5, please. Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers who have been saved out of a pagan, pantheistic, and idolatrous culture. He writes to them and to us as those who have been chosen by God before time began, as those who have been purchased by Christ's blood. We have been made alive by God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. We have been adopted by God as his sons and daughters, and we have been sealed with his Holy Spirit. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has written to tell us of our new creation in Christ and the new community of faith that we are saved into to be a part of. We are all members of that new community, the church both the universal, invisible church of God and into a local, visible church, Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church, where we are today. We practice church membership to reflect that truth that we are part of a local body that reflects the idea of the universal body of Christ. And now he's writing in these last chapters to instruct us and teach us as to how we are to behave and live inside that new community. And we saw in chapter 1 and 4 and verse 1 that we are to live lives worthy of our calling. We are to be humble and gentle and patient in verse 2. In verse 3, we are to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit. In verse 11, he talks about how Christ gave the church gifts to minister the Word of God so that we will grow into Christ-like, mature men and women. In verse 14 of chapter 4, he told us how we are no longer to be infants tossed to and fro, but we are to grow up, in verse 15, into Christ, who is the head over all. And then in verse 17, we are to no longer walk and live as unbelievers do. We are to put off the old man, verse 22. We are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, verse 23. And verse 25, we're to put on the new man. And then last week, we looked and we saw three of six specific instructions in verses uh, 15, or sorry, 25 to 32 of chapter 4 of how, about how we are to put off the old man and put on the new man. And that brings us to today's text of chapter 5 and verses 1 through 6. And we're going to read together now. And Paul writes and he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let the immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or cost coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. 
Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the son of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's finish down to verse 14 for context. Verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray again, shall we? Loving Father, as we come again with the Word of God open before us, we pray, O God, that the Spirit of God, Your Holy Spirit, would take this Word and teach us. Father, lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, not not just that we would know the truth, but Father, knowing it, we would live it out. We would put it into practice. Father, we would trust You more. Father, we pray through the preaching of the Word of God that You would deepen and increase faith in God. Father, we ask you these things. We seek for your help, O God, because we know that without your help, we can do nothing. We can accomplish nothing. But, Father, we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we open the Scriptures and speak together, Father, you can teach us. And so we ask you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's written by the Holy Spirit's inspiration to remind us that we are a part of the family of God. We're adopted into God's family as His dearly beloved children. We've been purchased by Christ's sacrificial death, made in love. We're to live imitating God, displaying the family image to all those around us. Now there is an idea out there in Christianity that says, I'm saved. I'm adopted, a child of the King, a child of God, my Heavenly Father. My salvation is eternally secure, so there's nothing that I can do that will cost me my salvation. And all of those statements are true. But here's the thing. So many make huge mistakes in how they live in light of those truths. Some sadly believe that they can then live any way they want because they know their salvation is secure, so they can go out and live just like the ungodly and the unbeliever. And it doesn't matter because they're already saved. They're, the deal is done. But that's not what Paul is saying in this text at all, at all. And then there are some others who have come to Christ and believed in Him, but have forgotten that they are accepted in the Beloved. They're still trying to do good enough to earn the Holy Father's, the Heavenly Father's favor and blessing. They need, we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, accepted, adopted, saints, sons and daughters. Those are all terms the Bible uses, that Paul uses to describe us as his children. We are all called on by God to live out the family image. We're called by God to display who our Heavenly Father is by the way in which we behave with each other and those around us. We need to hear this message this morning, all of us. 
me all the way to the back door. We all need to hear this to be reminded of our place in God's family, to be reminded of the cost of our salvation, and to be reminded of how we are to behave as beloved children of God, our Heavenly Father. Christian, listen. We enjoy the immense privileges of God's grace to be called His beloved children. That's what Paul calls us on the inspiration of the Spirit of God in chapter 5 and verse 1. So we have the joy of living to imitate God as His children by walking and living in love, verse 2, by refusing ungodly behavior in verse 3, by refusing ungodly speech in verse 4, and by giving thanks to God also in verse 4. Now, if you've got the note sheet in front of you, don't panic. There are five points, but here's the nice thing. The first point is as long as the last three or four put together. So it, it won't be, we will get out of here, I promise, on a beautiful day like today. Listen, Christian, remember this. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus. God has forgiven us, number one, in Christ. If you've come to Christ in faith, you've turned your back on sin, you are forgiven. Live in light of that forgiveness. There is no memory with God about your sins. Consider that great fact. We go back to God and say, do you remember when I did this, this, and this? And God says, no. Why? Because God's short of memory? No, not at all. We know that God is omniscient. He knows all things possible and actual, past, present, and future. He chooses not to remember those sins that have been forgiven. You are forgiven. Imitate God by forgiving yourself. It's something you won't think about very often. Let go of trying to work and earn God's forgiveness. Christ has fully paid the ransom. There's nothing left to pay. You cannot pay it. God neither desires nor demands any payment, any further payment from you. So we imitate God by forgiving ourselves and also by forgiving those who've sinned against us. I was saying last week as we were looking at this verse in chapter 4 and verse 32 about how sad it is that Paul actually had to write this, forgive those, forgive others. We who have been forgiven so much, we who have received so much of the grace of God, and yet how sad it is and Christians hold back and they will not forgive one another. And Paul says, forgive but we also have to remember that we have been forgiven and so forgive others. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. Secondly, remember that God has purchased us through Christ's death. In 5 and verse 2, God, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Listen, God is absolutely just and righteous. He did not merely choose to overlook our sin by no means. That would make God unjust and unrighteous, and he is not that at all. God demanded full payment for your sin and for mine, and Christ has made that full payment. 
Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. He gave himself up as a fragrant offering. Think of this. When Jesus hung on the cross, going through that tremendous suffering, his suffering in full obedience and submission and love for his Father, rose up before the Father's nostrils as a sweet-smelling Savior. It was done in beautiful obedience to God. He loved you and he gave himself for you to purchase you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, for what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Christ's obedient suffering and death was a pleasing aroma to God. God the Father has accepted Christ's payment for us. Live. Christian, live as those who have been purchased with an immeasurable sum, Christ's blood. Live in love. Live knowing that it was in love that Christ died for you and for me. Live in loving obedience to God as his child whom Christ loved and purchased. Listen, I don't like the idea that Christ loved you so much that he died for you to save you. In other words, he valued you so much. That's completely unbiblical. We were value, we had no value whatsoever. We're absolutely rebellious and disobedient and angry against God. We were fighting against God, going our own way. Every sin we committed offended Him, and yet He, in love and grace, He reached out to us and He purchased us and He made us His own. Christian, listen, never forget that you have been purchased at great cost. It was Christ's blood. You belong to the one who has purchased you. Imitate God by living in loving obedience to God. Thirdly, remember, we've been adopted by God, his beloved children. That's what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 15 that he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ to himself. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, said in Romans 8.15, We have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Father. I think we use words and terms in prayer that we don't stop to think about the depth of their meaning. When he said you cry out as Father to God. That was something that was absolutely unknown to them in their, in their culture, in their time. They would never refer to God as such an, a deep and intimate term. He has, he has adopted us. We can call him Father. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, God sent his Son into the world to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, historically, in first century Greco-Roman culture, adopted children enjoyed the full rights of inheritance as natural-born sons. Adopting parents faced severe legal and financial penalties for breaking an adoption agreement, financial loss, and possibly even jail time. Theologically, Think of this. Adoption is the act of God by which believers become members of God's family with all the privileges and obligations of family membership. God's adoption of you is irrevocable. God's adoption of you cannot be undone. You have been adopted into his family. You cannot be put out. 
God's adoption of you and I is eternal. It will never end. We all know that when parents grow old and then they die and the young person is now on his own, he's now the older generation, he's now heading towards his own death. There's a sense of which they've lost that parent. It's no longer the relationship's no longer there. Even in glory, there won't be the same relationship as father to son and parents to child. It's gone. But our adoption by our Heavenly Father is an eternal adoption. We will never lose that. I just, it just staggers my mind to think that God loved us who were so unlovable and He adopted us as His sons and daughters. If you are in Christ, you are absolutely secure in Him. You cannot lose your salvation. If you've trusted in Christ, you are God's beloved adopted child. If you've come to Christ for forgiveness, not only did He forgive you, He adopted you never to let you go. If you're struggling this morning with your faith, if you're struggling with knowing where you stand before God, come to Christ in faith, repenting of sin, and know for a certainty that you have been adopted and included as his children. It's what Jesus meant, or John meant, sorry, when he spoke in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. To as many as believed on him, them he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. We are adopted. What a great thought. What a great thought to go through your week with that I'm adopted, I belong. When I was growing up, we used to joke, our friends, you know, we'd look at our, when you're a teenager, you always think your parents aren't very cool. So if you're a teenager here and you think your parents aren't very cool, you're not the first generation to come up with that. We came up with that long before you did. And we used to look at each other and go, you know what, looking at you and looking at your parents, and we go, you must be adopted. My brother-in-law, Ross, and I used to always say, oh, you must be adopted, man, because you're so different than your parents. They're so square and you're so not. And, and we always laughed about that. And we thought of it as a joke because we were adopted. We almost thought it was more cool to be adopted than to be a natural-born son. But listen, we as sons and daughters of the living God have been adopted into His family. And there's a relationship between us and our Heavenly Father that goes so much further than a natural-born father and a child. What a privilege. What a blessing to know that we are adopted into God's family. So live in the full knowledge of that truth. You are a child of the King. I don't want to sound like the prosperity gospel preachers that will tell you that you deserve this and you deserve that because you're a child of the King. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, endured the cross and He didn't deserve anything of that. So be careful with where you take that theology. But we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Live as childs, as children of the King of Kings, displaying the family image. Live imitating God who has adopted you. Live in love as Christ has loved you and saved you. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit who seals and fills you. Imitate God. Paul is saying it in verse 1. Imitate God by living in light of your adoption in Christ. Fourthly, remember that we are God's holy people. Look what he says in verse number three. Let's read it again. He says this, But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
The word saints there, the NIV translates it as simply God's holy people. It's exactly what we are. The Spirit inspired Paul to write in Ephesians 1 and verse 4 that God chose us to be holy and blameless. In 2 and verse 21 of Ephesians, the community of faith that we're saved into is a holy temple in the Lord. In 4 and verse 24, we've been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. In 5 and verse 27, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her with a purpose to present her to himself without any spot, holy and blameless. In Colossians 1.22, the Bible says this, Christ has reconciled us to present us before God, holy and blameless beyond reproach. We are God's holy children. It means that we've been set apart to God for his use and his enjoyment. Did you know, Christian, that the Father delights in you? You ever watch a new a dad with a new kid? or a, How about this again? A guy who's become a father of, a, of his first child. Everywhere he goes, right? That little boy or his little girl is the absolute delight of his eyes. And he's so proud. That's my son. There he is. That's my boy. And they walk by and that that dad's got a chest that's about five times bigger than normal because he's so proud. He delights that little one. That little thing can do nothing more than eat and sleep and something else. And, And it's a horrible thing. It's just a squirming pink mass. Doesn't do anything. Can't even speak. They smile. He's just got gas, apparently, is what they tell me. A little child, but the father absolutely delights in it. Then he has no greater joy. I remember when my kids were little, a lot little than they are now, and I could hold them in my arms. It was the greatest thing to hold our kids and just look at this little tiny life. And I delighted in him. He couldn't do a thing for me. I wish he could wash my car and, you know, clean out the, the gutters and all those other fun things that you're supposed to do. He couldn't do any of them. But I delighted in that little tiny baby because it was just, it was my son. And you know what? God delights in us, his children. He has called us to be holy. He's called us to live in righteousness and holiness before us, before him. And he delights in us. But listen, don't get the wrong idea. He does not delight in you for a millionth of a second because of anything intrinsically good in you. He delights in you because even though there is nothing good in us. As a beautiful, pure expression of loving grace, he set his love upon you. It'd be one thing. Actually, it would be a terrible thing if you stop and think about it. If God looked at all of us and said, who is deserving of my love and my grace? Oh, there's Con. He certainly deserves it. There's Wendy. You know, she certainly deserves it. And he started putting them up and ranking everybody in order. Who deserved more grace? And, well, you know, he's been pretty good this week. He deserves a little bit more. Ah, he hasn't been so good. And then there's that pastor guy. Shove him down the end of the row. He doesn't deserve nothing. And and they, they rank everybody out. And all of a sudden, God's love and God's grace is not dependent upon who he is. It's dependent upon who we are. And all of a sudden, guess what? None of us deserves any of it. But the beautiful thing is, brothers and sisters in Christ, he 
chose to set his love and his grace on you. He chose to make you his child. He chose you and he called you with a purpose that you would walk before him in holiness and in in truth. What a loving father we have. To be saints, to be holy ones, as he talks about here in verse 3, means we are to live pure, godly, holy lives. It means we are not, get this, this is so important, we are not free to live any way we want. Salvation did not set you free to go and sin unrestrained because you know it's all been taken care of. That's a blasphemous idea. And there are some out there that hang on to that idea. Whether they would speak it, they certainly live it. That's not what God saved you for. Child of God, we are positionally holy before God. He sees us as we are in Christ. But child of God, Christ clothed us. Try it again in English. Christ clothed us in robes of purest white. Child of God, listen, Christ desires that we live out in practice what we already are in position before God. Christian, live in holiness as God's beloved child. Imitate God by living in holiness as his beloved adopted children. We are adopted sons and daughters of God through Christ. Praise his glorious name. Amen. Praise him. Now we said a bit earlier about adoption, that adoption is the act of God by which believers become members of God's family with all the privileges and obligations of family membership. Now I wanted to spend a bulk of my time savoring the wonderful truths about being God's beloved children from the text. But alongside those immense privileges that we all enjoy as Christians, there are obligations of adoption. Notice the commands that Paul gives us. In verse 2, we are to walk and live in love. In verse 3, if you summarize it, we are to refuse ungodly behavior. In verse 4, if you summarize it again, we're to refuse ungodly speech, and we're also to give thanks to God for all things. So the second main point is this. Imitate God by living in Christ-like love. Notice the text, we're to imitate God and walk and live in love. Whenever Paul uses the word walk in Ephesians, it's kind of a twofold term. It means not just walking along with your feet. It means your lifestyle, your living as you walk. You walk in love. He displayed how we're to love the Father and to love us by his death on the cross. In love for his Father and for us, he gave himself up for us, and the essence of Christ-like love is being willing to die for the benefit of the other one who is the loved one and maybe even actually dying for them. Listen to what Jesus said about our practice of love as Christians, as God's children. He said in Luke 6:35, "But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high." Did you notice the connection between love, Christ-like love, and being sons of God. He puts it there in Luke 6. Same here in Ephesians 5. 
You will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 47, listen. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? What's he saying? He's saying Christ-like love is to love those who do not love you and do not like you and aren't maybe your friends. In fact, it's to love those who hate you and want to cause you harm. Loving those who do not love you is the measure of godly love. Loving those who do not love you is Christ-like sacrificial love. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as forgiven children, as adopted children, as children purchased by the death of Christ, as God's holy people, we're called to live in that love, expressing it one to the other. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, Paul wrote, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Peter wrote it in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. I say this to my own shame. Because I, I'm somewhat of a legalistic kind of guy. It's something that God's really been convicting me of in the last little while. How quick I am to find, oh, look, he didn't say it that way. Oh, look, he didn't do that right. Oh, look, she just... And you start picking away at each other. But he says, no, no, no. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love sees a weak and failing situation and cries out to God in prayer for God's grace to cover that, that love might cover those sins. But how quick we are to point out each other's failures and weaknesses. In 1 John 3, verse 11, the Bible says this, For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Listen. That love is absolutely impossible without Christ in our lives. That love is impossible if we are not His beloved children. That love is impossible for us to do outside of the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we have Christ. We are filled with His Spirit. We're sealed with the Spirit and we keep being filled with His Spirit. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we must live imitating God in love as Christ loved us. Paramount importance. Probably the, the key idea in this whole passage, the key command is to walk and live in love for one another. How quickly we failed that, eh? And I'm speaking for myself, not for you. How quickly I failed that. How quickly I put aside that love. But that's how they'll know that we are his disciples if we live and walk in love for one another. Third main point is this. Imitate God by refusing ungodly behavior. And we see that in verse number three. How do beloved children of God live? Now he says here that immorality, 
impurity, and greed must not be known or named as is fitting for saints. Why is that? Because Isaiah 6 tells us that God is holy. In fact, the seraphim never stopped crying about out back and forth, one to the other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That doesn't mean holy plus holy plus holy. It means holy times holy times holy. It means absolutely, infinitely pure. No trace of defilement or anything like that in him. He is one who is absolutely set apart. Habakkuk says that he's too holy even to look upon sin. My favorite scenes to demonstrate this is the Garden of Eden. When God comes after they've sinned and calls out from a distance, where are you? He knows exactly where they are. But he can't come close. And in grace, he speaks from a distance, even though in anger at their sin, he is angry at their sin. But he still speaks a distance to call out to them, to highlight to them the fact that they are now separated from God, where they used to be separated to God. Listen, the Bible says in Exodus 15, verse 11, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? In Leviticus 11, he says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 10, Moses comes to Aaron after his two sons have offered strange fire, and the holiness of God has struck out against them and taken their lives. He says this, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. Listen, God is holy. And as we saw before, he has called us to be his holy people. As his children, we're to be as pure as God is pure. We're to refuse to engage in unholy behavior. As God's holy people, his beloved children, we must refuse immorality. And that's sexual behavior outside of God's design. And that term mostly has to do with fornication and prostitution, which was rampant in their day just as much as it is in our day today. Immorality is not even to be named or known or even suggested among them. Impurity, again, it's the idea of a sexual nature, dirty, unclean sexual behavior is not even to be named among them. Greed. We say, oh, that's so good. I got, got off on one and two. Not immoral, not impure. What about greed? And all of a sudden we kind of, oh, hold on. What about greed? It's selfish, covetous behavior. It's not even to be named among us. We see somebody behaving in a selfish way, always looking for the prominence for themselves, always looking to see their name up in lights, always looking to try and get the best for themselves and keep it for themselves. It's all about me and getting what I want. Immorality is the absence of love for God and the other person in a sexual relationship. Impurity, again, is the absence of love for God and the other person. Listen. Christ has washed us clean from all those things. And greed is the absence of love that disregards others and is only concerned with getting what I want. Christ has washed us clean. How dare we 
as his beloved children turn back to doing the very thing that his blood cleansed us from. That isn't just immorality, and it's not just impurity, it's greed too. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I ought to make a stop and sit up and take notice. We have been called to live a holy lifestyle that is not greedy to get what I want at the cost of everybody else and whatever's in my way. How much different would our churches be? I'm not just saying Noble Park, I mean all churches would be if greed a desire for prominence, a desire for place, a desire for position, a desire to push through what I want regardless of what anybody else says or thinks or feels. How different if that was all put aside and it wasn't even named among us. We were known to be the people who love each other with the same kind of love that Christ exercised when he loved us and gave himself for us. Paul says, in Colossians 3, 5, 3 and verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead, absolutely separated from us. The idea of that word dead. Dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Brothers and sisters, as those of us who are forgiven and adopted and purchased by Christ's death, as those who are God's holy people called to be saints, let's imitate God. Let's do what the Scripture says. Let's imitate God, our Heavenly Father, and our loving Savior by refusing ungodly, unholy behavior. It's one of the greatest tragedies. Uh, statistics show, I think it's just in the United States, that's where the statistics were taken, but statistics show in the United States the number of people in churches engaged in extramarital affairs, sex outside of marriage, and divorce is just rampant. And Paul says, these things are not even to be named among you. Fourthly, let's imitate God by refusing ungodly speech. There must be no filthiness, no silly talk, no cost jesting. It's a carry-on from Ephesians 4.29 when he said, Let no unwholesome word, no rotten word is what it means there, proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is good for edification, to build one another up according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. Imagine that. Stop and think, brothers and sisters. If we put a big filter over our mouths and the only thing that came out of my mouth and your mouth were words that built the other person up and words that conveyed grace from God through our tongues to each other, how much talking would we still be doing? And you know what? I'll be honest. I love joking around. Uh, if you came here in the middle of the week and you hear George and I talking the jokes fly all, he's been working in the back room there, and we have a really good time. We have a good relationship joking and talking with one another. But how much different would it be if every time, instead of joking, we spoke to build one another up in Christ? We spoke to impart grace to the other person. We spoke to encourage. We spoke to build up, 
to impart truth that will strengthen their faith, to impart truth that will encourage them to get to go on for God, to put an arm around somebody else and say, hey, listen, I know you're struggling, but you know what? There is a God who can help you and he's walking with you. Don't give up. Keep going. That's what Paul's saying, those two things put together. There's not to be this ungodly speech, and there is to be speech that comes out of our mouth that builds up and encourages and strengthens the other one in their faith. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks that from that which fills his heart. The mouth speaks what's in the heart. We are those who have been washed clean. We are those who have been set apart to God. What comes out of our mouths ought to be the same flavor of what our heart is. So as those who have been saved by the blood of Christ, those who have been adopted into God's family, we are to speak the things that are the truths of God in in our hearts. We're to refuse ungodly, unholy speech from our mouths. The heart that's been cleansed by Christ's blood must not spew out ungodly speech. You want to know where this message hit me? Right there. No, I don't go around swearing my head off or saying holy, un, ungodly and unholy things, but how often do my words fail to build up? How often do my words fail to encourage and strengthen and encourage my brothers and sisters? what they should be doing. Took that as a rebuke from the Lord. Fifthly, the last one, I'm so glad we get to end with this one. Number, number five, we imitate God by giving thanks to God. Look what he says in the end of verse four, or the whole verse four. There must be no filthiness and silly talk and cost jesting, which are not fitting, but rather instead giving of thanks. We are to be those who are constantly giving thanks to God for His great blessings. A word of thanksgiving, listen, from our mouths, without the life and the hands and feet of loving, obedient godliness, which refuses ungodly ungodly behavior and ungodly speech, is a massive contradiction. In other words, if you're giving thanks with your mouth, but your life is living an ungodly, unholy lifestyle, that's a massive contradiction. It can't be there. So our lives must match what our mouths are saying as we worship and as we give thanks. But listen, we are to imitate God in both word and in deed, and we are to give thanks for all things. And you know what I thought we'd do? Rather me expound this anymore, I'm just going to walk my way through Ephesians chapter 4 down of where we are in chapter 5 and list off all the things that I can see from the text for which we are to give thanks. And you know what? I'm sure if you read your Bible, you'll find more and I'll miss a few things. So listen up. We give thanks. In verse 1 of chapter 4, we give thanks that we have been called by God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you have called me to walk with you as your child. In verse 4, we give thanks that we've been called into one body. We've been sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're called in one hope of our calling. We're serving one Lord. We're received and exercised one faith in God. And we are baptized into one body. Give thanks. 
Thank the, you ever read Paul's prayers? Almost immediately he gives thanks for those he's writing to. Even the Corinthians and all their ungodly behavior, sexual immorality, going to court, all this other stuff, he still stops the beginning and says, I give thanks to you, for to God for you. Christians, saints, brethren, those terms he uses for those people. Give thanks for each other. In verse 7, we give thanks that we have all received grace. Do you ever stop and think about that? We've all received grace. God's wonderful grace has been given to me and to everybody else in the room. Give thanks that they have received grace. Give thanks that we have received grace. Give thanks for Christ's ministry gifts to us, the apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers and elders and those. Give thanks that we're growing up into Christ. Give thanks, brothers and sisters, that every single day as you walk with Christ, you're growing a little more like Christ. And you can look back maybe five years ago, maybe a year ago, maybe a month ago, and say, I see what I was back then, and I see how much God, through His Holy Spirit, is causing me to grow, and I'm becoming a little bit more like Christ. It's never enough. I always want to be more, but you know what? We are growing. Give thanks to God for that growth. Give thanks that He is fitting us together as His body. Give thanks that we must no longer live. We don't need to live like unbelievers anymore. Give thanks for the call in Scripture to put off the old man and put on Christ. And give thanks that by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we make that effort and step out to put off Christ and put on the put off the old man, sorry, and put on Christ that He, by the power of the Spirit of God, does that work. Give thanks. Give thanks that we are members of one another. The old saying is true. It's kind of humorous, but it's still true. You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives, right? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Give thanks that we are members of one another in the body of Christ. That's a wonderful truth. Sit down and meditate on that for a while. That God in His sovereign grace and beautiful wisdom is putting us together. You say, you know, if I were the Lord, I wouldn't have picked that guy to be in my church. And you know, you might be surprised to think he's over there thinking to himself, you know, if I was Lord, I wouldn't have put him in my church either. But God in His wisdom and in His grace has put us together. I had fun building this pulpit and uh, I had to do a bit of sanding and a few spots I had to do a whole lot of sanding because my working wasn't so great. And you know, if I picked up sandpaper that was just smooth paper and rubbed like mad, it wouldn't do anything. It, the, the paper would get hot, the wood would get hot, my hand would get hot, but nothing would actually happen. But when I pick up some coarse sandpaper and I have two pieces of wood that are supposed to be flush, but they're actually more like this, and I start rubbing that sandpaper back and forth across those pieces, guess what? It wears down the wood until those both pieces come in line and they're nice and flush and I can put the finish on. It's nice and smooth. And God uses each of us in each other's lives like sandpaper on wood to work at us, to shape us, to make us more like Christ. Give thanks, brothers and sisters, that we are part of this body, Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. 
that God is using each of us in the other's life to shape us and make us more like Christ. Give thanks that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Give thanks that we've been forgiven by God. Give thanks that we are His beloved children by adoption. Give thanks, brothers and sisters, that we have been purchased not with silver or gold that can be measured and valued, but by the priceless, precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks that we are His holy people, possessed by Him. We're His. We belong to Him. Give thanks that God has included us in His kingdom and give thanks for all things through Christ. What didn't I mention? Give thanks for the struggles. Give thanks for the weaknesses that keep us dependent upon God in prayer. Give thanks for the infirmities that teach us to trust the Lord more. Give thanks for the relationships that are strained once in a while to teach us to love more and to trust more and to reach out with Christ's love for each other. Give thanks, brothers and sisters. Instead of the ungodly speech and the ungodly behavior, live a life of thanksgiving. What's the message for us today? Imitate God by walking in love. Imitate God as His beloved children. Imitate God by refusing ungodly behavior. Imitate God by giving thanks for all His blessings in Christ. But imitate God. That's the message.